Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Leland Wilson, who's calling in over the phone from St. George, Utah. Welcome, Leland, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, Just some housekeeping things. I've been kind of plugging the book I wrote um, at the beginning of the podcast. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And it looks like we're going to call September 21st the official release date of the book. Um, It's available at pre-order at Amazon right now. And the Kindle version is already available. If you want to read it right now, you can order the Kindle version. I'm grateful for a couple of reviews we've gotten from people that have bought the book on Amazon. Um, I'll read a review for you right now. It's from the 28th of August. The book was an answer to prayers on helping me better understand how to love and support all of those brothers and sisters who are walking a different path than I am. We can truly love and support one another. So thank you for those of you that are um, buying the book, sharing it with others. It helps to leave reviews on Amazon. I think you have to buy the book or the Kindle version on Amazon to do that. Um, But the book, like this podcast, is really to amplify LGBTQ voices. And um, we're doing that today with Leland. Let me just give you a little bit of a bio on Leland. Leland is 56. Um, He has been out of the church for 38 years. Um, Growing up in southern Utah and knowing he was gay, he left the church and really left southern Utah in his teens and spent the next 30 years um, mostly in Las Vegas um, in a, in, with a long-term same-sex partner. He had his career as a floral designer and did a lot of good work. And um, in about 2017, Leland felt impressed to return home. And um, that led him to also return to the church. Leland um, has a wonderful bishop and is active in his ward. 2018 is really when he came back to the church. And and so we'll just share his story and the things that he's learned. Um, Leland is still gay. He was gay at age 16. He was gay during his time outside the church, and he's still gay. He is gay and following church teachings now, so he's not acting. He's not on a same-sex relationship, but he will just talk about his journey. And this will be, you know, he's been on this path longer than many of my guests and it just has the perspective of 40 years um, on this road. And we offered a prayer before we started. We pray that the Spirit will help, especially Leland, share the things that are close to his heart. Um, so thank you, Leland. Is that okay for a bio? I, I think that sounds great. And um, they think you're doing such a lovely job. Well, thanks. You know, um, Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, where, where would you like me to go from here? Well, let's start, just talk about, um, let's do just a short segment on your teenage years. When did you kind of know you were gay, and where were you living at that time? Well, you know, I, was, I grew up in Beaver, Utah, in a little, a little town outside of Beaver, north, north of Beaver, about six miles, called Manderfield. And, you know, I just, I always knew, even before a teenager, you know, there was just something something different, you know, I didn't, I didn't know really quite what it was. And I wasn't really interested in a lot of the 
the other things that the the boys were doing and stuff and i just yeah felt like there was always something different then when i was probably my pre-teens 13 14 i realized um yeah i'm i'm attracted to the other boys you know and just kind of went with that and you know and then all of a sudden you're hearing all the things growing up oh gosh it's just horrible when you're a kid growing up you know there should i'm hoping i'm hoping somebody can reach out to them and the kids can feel open enough to talk to their parents i think it might have helped with a little bit of the self-sabotage that kind of starts to create in those earlier years you know um and, and i know nobody meant to do that everybody has such a perspective of the, of the gay world or the or the um, same-sex attractions. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think gay kids even understand what's going on. So how can anybody else expect to understand what's going on? And um, oh, sometimes I thought it was going to break me. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just kind of figured that I was, you know, got my ironic priesthood and did some temple works, and I just I always loved the Lord. I just didn't I just didn't fit in you know they always they always saying how you know it's wrong and you're gonna burn in hell and then the people that suspect it just constantly shame you and poke fun at you and you know and uh, I don't know I'm pretty sensitive you know I kind of really took a lot of that to heart and then one day I was just I just cried out to the Lord I'm like father in heaven I just I can't do this anymore and I need to I need to go experience what's going on with myself and you know, and I basically asked the Holy Spirit to just, you know, step aside and let me do my thing. And and he did, you know. I don't feel like he ever left me, but I didn't feel him quite as strong as I as I did, you know. And um, I kind of went down this, this path of all of a sudden well, I didn't know what to do with myself. So I'm like, oh, maybe I should start smoking to fit in. Or maybe I should start trying this kind of drug to fit in. Just reaching out to do anything to fit in, you know. It was just, oh. What do, you, what do you do? You know, I had no idea what to do. And even tried dating girls and oh, that just didn't work for me. And even found out I was just a horrible kisser because, you know, that's not what I wanted to do, you know? And um, so anyway, that, all that, um, all that seeking to find out what was inside of me, what was going on, really, really led down some, desperate paths, I guess, to some bad habits and bad addictions and, you know, and then through all that and not being able to talk to anybody about it, I seem to have developed this kind of fantasy and illusions in my mind of what, you know, what love was like and what a boyfriend would be like and what sex would be like. And, you know, just thinking of things as a young kid that I don't know if I should have thought of or not, but I did because that kind of helped me become who I am today. And I I hope it'll be a good testimony for somebody, you know. And um oh gosh, I get a little emotional there, you know. You just when you're so young and all that starts happening, I, I think it might be different today. You know, back in the eighties, oh my gosh, I'd rather die than tell anybody, you know. But I told the Lord and I told myself. And, you know, I didn't have to lie to the Lord or me anymore about it when I was about 14. And everybody else suspected. And, um, gosh, where was I going with that? <laughs> you know? You're doing a good job. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just recognize that 
you know, if you're 16 years old and gay today in 2020, that's pretty hard road, but there's so much more um, resources, so much more understanding. Um, you're in a Southern Utah conservative town. You're gay. <laughs> I like that you say there's just no way to fit in. Um, and everybody needs to sort of fit in. Everybody needs a, to have a feeling of belonging. And without much of a roadmap or other people to walk this road with you, and yeah, you had Heavenly Father and the Savior, I, I recognize that a lot of men and women your age, you know, sort of tried different roads to try to figure this out and and often turned to self-numbing behaviors to sort of deal with it um, and to or sort of escape from it. Um, drugs, alcohol, pornography, the whole, you know, everything that you could sort of go down. And so... I just think a loving Heavenly Father would be pretty kind to you um, right now and say, we, you know, that's just part of the journey that, you know, you took and we're glad you're back. And um, But I think he'd be pretty kind to you. And, um, and I'm glad you're willing to talk about this because I just recognize there's not much of a roadmap and, you, and it would be logical to kind of find your way to a bigger city where there just might be more community for gay p- people. Talk about um, talk about what you did in Las Vegas. Tell our listeners what your career became. Oh, okay. So as a as a youth, I always loved um, working in the garden with my grandmothers and um, loved plants, loved florals. So I ended up getting this job um, in a flower shop down there, and it was it was really a gorgeous shop. You know, the Lord blessed the Lord really blessed me in my career path and my education with this, and. Um, so it ends up being like the premier flower shop in Vegas. And wow. the owner just took me up started, yeah, and just started training me up, you know. And and um, <clears throat> anyway, so, I, you know, I got to um, meet a lot of famous people there and, and really got to learn how to do it. The, um, the owner is um, from Switzerland, and they really, when you train for something there, I, apparently they really school you up. So he, I just learned the names of the flowers and the plants and the types of designs and everything that went along with it. And... Um, Gosh, did that for a lot of years, and um, gosh, I don't know. I don't even know what else to say about it, really. You know, um, it was a it, it's a good job. It's a fun job, and I, I'm still doing that today. You know, I um, I can tell you a story about that later on too, because I moved back here in the '90s and um, ended working at a ended up working at a furniture gallery, and then moved back to Vegas and opened up my um. I managed to, um, how could I just lose my thought like that? <clears throat> You're doing fine. Were you so, happy? Yeah, managing. Go ahead. Yeah, managing wasn't, yeah, managing wasn't the term I wanted to use, but like production manager. And we uh-huh. do like these big um, planter beds in the casinos and um, multiple decor for hotel suites. And it was just really a lot of fun. You know, I mean, that's just really my thing. I'm it's right up my alley. That's what I do. You know, Heavenly Father gave me a really good gift with that. And, um, you know, and I, I just, I wonder, cause the whole time I was always, um, I was always on something, <laughs> you know, the whole time. I just never, never seemed to let go of, um, you know, I just spent my whole time. I was still seeking who's Leland, what's Leland doing? And, you know, you just so felt so ashamed of myself and didn't know who I was. And 
seems like every time I'd get going somewhere, I'd self-sabotage myself, and the Lord would have to be there to pull me back out of it. And I don't know why I was saying that, but, you know, it's true. It's all, it just made me realize how, um, for a lot of years, I mean, I did, I, I was in, I was in addiction for a lot of years. You know, I'm trying to make this all cheery and pretty and stuff, but it's like, yeah, even through, um, even through training up in a career and everything, um, I was, I was just still not feeling, not feeling adequate, you know, not feeling as good as everybody else. And, you know, I think that kind of stemmed from, from not, not being able to talk about being gay, you know, but at least, at least in Las Vegas, I could just fade away into the, you know, into the crowd and nobody, nobody cared, you know, Las Vegas is a pretty flamboyant city. So, and the, the gay community there was, well, according to other other people, you know, it wasn't that great. And I'm like, well, I sure enjoyed it, <laughs> you know, for the time, the time that I was there, and had a couple had a couple different couple different boyfriends over my um over the years. You know, when you're when you're young, it just didn't work out, at least not for me. And then, um, gosh, I don't know where to go from there either. Kind of kind of rambling. You're doing fine. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell you've had there was a phrase you said there that was just. You know, there's just kind of this hole you're trying to feel fill, and there's so much shame potentially about being gay and and self-loathing that it seems like you're turning to you're turning to addictions um, just to try to find connection and try to just feel this void within you. And um, yeah, that's I think that's something that now you recognize was not helpful, but I think you I think. Um, we can show compassion to people that have, you know, because life can be pretty hard sometimes. I don't think you just said at age 16, I'm going to go, you know, get addicted to a bunch of things. I think you just kind of, you know, didn't know exactly how to navigate this road and um, and just sort of did the best yeah, you can. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I was like, yeah, it, it was. It was just so much easier to numb out and, well, and hide from it. I didn't know what to do. And I think by the time I was 16 or 17, I already had like a, let's say, a pornographic addiction mentally, not necessarily porn by magazine or book or anything else, but I think mentally I'd already built this, these fantasies and delusions in my mind of what, um, of what I thought it should be like. You know, and I and I don't know. For me, I think I think maybe it was more a sexual addiction than anything. I don't know that um, being gay or same-sex attraction—that's that's not my weakness. The, my weakness became what I did with it, you know. And then that was it. All of a sudden, I, yeah, I reached out to drugs, had to numb it, and really, really, for a long time, you know, I'd put on a show because I really didn't have it. I didn't really have much self-worth, and I think that's why I continued doing the doing the drugs, you know, and, um, but then, you know, as years go by, you know, I stopped, stopped doing crystal math and then I did pain pills for a lot of years and, uh, you know, nobody, only a very few people knew about that. I mean, I don't think my family had a clue or to the extent that it was and probably did those for about 30 of the 38 years I was gone. Oh. And I look at that's just, just the grace of God that I'm alive at all, you know, in some of the situations I end up getting myself into, you know, and the Lord, the Lord would just pull me out of those. 
you know, I remember one time I thought, oh, I'll help these guys out and bring them over to my house. They can help me clean up the yard and this and that. And they ended up kicking the crap out of me, <laughs> you know? And, um, and then all of a sudden, I was just, this calmness came over me. And, um, and I hear this voice, it's like, you need to raise your head. You know, it's just like, lift your head. I lift my head and they bust this bottle over my head. And I just turned around. I'm like, what are you doing? I was trying to help you. And I swear, this is crazy. You might want to edit this. This is crazy. But I just, I swear, I just saw these, ing- these wings behind me just raise up. And I was so calm. And they just dropped everything they had in their hands and ran off. And I was like, you know, that was totally Heavenly Father just sparing me. You know, and maybe that's a story for another podcast. I don't know, because I've had a few incidences like that. And, you know, even though, even though I'd asked the Holy Spirit to let me be, he never, he never left me, ever. You know, Heavenly Father is always, always there, just watching over us, waiting for, what do they say in the ARP manual? Um, waiting for me to weary of myself, you know? And, um... I guess eventually I did, but who I sure went through a lot of things. Sorry to ramble on about that. You're doing a good job, Leland. I think one of the things that you're helping our listeners know is that our worth is set. Nothing we can do, I believe, makes us unworthy of God's love. And if you look at where you are compared to the covenant path, you're pretty far off the covenant path. Um, between, you know, everything you're doing. We don't need to go through the whole list. I think our listeners get the general idea. Um, But if there's ever somebody off the covenant path and not living the teachings of our church, you know, you certainly know that road. It's the road the prodigal son knew. But yet, as you know, and, and as you just shared, Heavenly Father still loved you, and He was still there with you. And he still was protecting you. And that's a really powerful message to all of us is that nothing, this is my belief, nothing we can do can change our worth. Our worth is set. And we shouldn't say to ourselves, well, I'm going to get myself clean and then I'm going to reconnect with God because I'm outside of his love because of the mistakes I'm making right now. And I think that's Satan's, one of Satan's greatest lies Sin, Satan doesn't win just when we sin. He mostly wins when we believe we're outside of God's love and we quit believing that he would want to help us or we quit trying to reach out. And so that's what I love about your story is you recognize God continuing to be with you um, where you are at this point and that you never lost your belief in God during this time. That's anything you'd like to add to that, Leland? Oh, that made me think of my meditation this morning. And all of a sudden, one thing through it, um, that the person was guiding the meditation and said, it was like, we serve a living God. And I don't know why that hit me so hard today. Because I'm like, well, I know that. I knew that. But all of a sudden, maybe I was taking that for granted. It's like, you know, he's alive just like us. And they're watching over us. We serve a living God. That's a magnificent statement, you know. But um, anyway, and, and, and I agree because, you know, now, now going after all of that, I realize that, you know, Heavenly Father defines me. 
and I do have worth, you know, and um, that was something I learned through um, one of the men's groups I go to, Sons of Sacrifice, and um, that was one of the mantras that um, the teacher had given us, is, you know, God defines me, therefore I have worth. And even and when I've started realizing that more and more the last couple of years, you know, because I was, I was pretty broken, you know, by the, when I moved back here, everything just kind of hit all at once. Yeah, I prayed, I prayed to my father what to do, and he just he did it. I just it just moved so quickly, you know. And and I, and I was broken, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Just at my wit's end by the time all this came to an end, you know. <clears throat> sold my um, yeah, I told you that we sold the sold my business, sold my house, um, broke up with my boyfriend of fifteen years, and um. And, that, and now I see why this all happened. You know, Heavenly Father had a plan for me that didn't in, include any of those things. It didn't include a lot of things, you know, and everything has a season, you know. Tell our listeners Lord, what caused you to move back yeah, to, what caused you to move back to Utah? Well, you know, I, um, well, one, I was, my misspent youth had caught up, you know, because I drink quite a bit, my boyfriend and I, and, um, I didn't really do drugs anymore. I um, had probably quit the pain pills like three or four years before I moved back here. And um, still would smoke a little marijuana but, and still drink a little. And all of a sudden those things just, they stopped working for me. And um, so anyway, I was just like, I didn't feel quite right. You know, I had some issues going on and and I just prayed. And the next thing I know, it's like, okay, well, we um, sold the business for basically pennies on the dollar. Did real, did real well on the home, and then um, broke my boyfriend's heart, you know, because he just wasn't ready to, and I just I just knew it wasn't it wasn't working anymore, you know, and we're still great friends. We still, I mean, I I adore him and miss him, I miss him dearly, you know, but we just didn't, we just it just wasn't clicking anymore, in a lot of ways, in a lot a lot of ways, and um, and I'm just thankful that we could be friends. So that all happens, and it was just. I don't know. It was just, I was supposed to be here with my family and I get here with my family. And, um, six weeks later, my mom passes away and um, she and my father are married near almost 63 years before she passed. And I'm like, gosh, 63 years. That's a, that's a lifetime. You know, they were a little kid. They grew up together. They raised each other, and raised their family. And, you know, my poor dad, I was supposed to be here for him, even though our relationship, I mean, it's not bad. It's not good. It's just like we never really had one. You know, I didn't do those manly boyhood thingies. And he, um, but now all of a sudden it's like, oh, he, he needed me here and I needed to be here. His, his, you know, it's helped me heal also. And, um, and he's just absolutely lost. Still, it's been nearly three years since my mom passed away. And, um, gosh, you just never know how much you're going to miss a mom. You know, there's, I was reading, I was doing a meditation the other day and they were talking about, about women and the creation and how, you know, that she was the last thing God created. And yet, you know, she's the bearer of life. And I'm like, wow, God's crowning glory, you know? And it, and it truly is. Mothers are just probably the closest connection to um, Heavenly Father I think I'll ever know. You know, she gave life to me and she, they're, they're protectors that some, sometimes I think it was her spirit on the other side that kind of helped guide me back to the Lord. You know, everything has to happen for a reason. That's not always pretty, is it? You know, I, I, 
Yeah. What was I, what was I talking about? <laughs> yeah, you're so. doing a good job just while you came back to Utah. So it sounds like it was a t- couple reasons. One is you just felt like, you know, it was time. Um, I, I'm glad you're honest with just you missed your boyfriend, that it was um, you spent 15 years with somebody. And even though that is outside the teachings of our church, I recognize that that's a there's mixed feelings with that because it's somebody you spent, you know, 15 years with and is a big part of your life. And, um, yeah, we still talk every week or every couple of weeks. I just, I'm glad you do. I'm glad you do. Yeah. My nieces and nephew know him. I mean, he was there when they were little kids and he had helped get them ready for the parades and just, well, he's our family still, you know, so that's, that's yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he is. He's a, he's a good man. He's a nice man. We just went different paths, that's all, you know? I know when Tom Christofferson came back to the church after being in a same-sex right. relationship, it, and his bishop uh, didn't invite Tom to separate from his boyfriend, but after a while, that became the reality of their situation. But his bishops, I've heard him speak about this. He said it was not a high-five moment when Tom and his partner split up. There was no rejoicing in that. They just, this local bishop recognized that this was a sad thing, that, you know, this relationship was ending. Yeah, it allowed Tom to return to the church in full fellowship. So that was wonderful. And that same thing has happened for you. But I think it's okay for us as active Latter-day Saints to recognize that we grieve a little bit, because I sense you do. Um, because that 15-year period, assuming that was a good, healthy relationship, you know, ended. And and I'm glad you're still friends, and I'm glad your former boyfriend, you know, has a relationship with other family members. That, to me, that's what he- that would make Heavenly Father happy, in my feeling, that just w- we're finding common ground in our differences as the same human family. Are you okay with that, Leland, or do you feel different about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I wasn't the best boyfriend, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, um, but no, but you know, for the most part, we we were. I mean, we just we were there for each other. We could trust each other, and um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think that sounds good. But I, yeah, I was. There were parts of the relationship that I um probably wasn't probably wasn't the best man I could be, which which you know was also part of my um my um sexual addiction and my 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 flaws, you know, they're, um, oh, how did that, I don't know if anybody's familiar with the white book, you know, and it's from um, Sexaholics Anonymous, and, you know, I hope this isn't too much for anybody, but, you know, it, it just, oh, let me think, let me see if I can remember how that, how that goes. I think I wrote it down somewhere. Oh, so it's called the white book, and it puts really clear of um, how, how I, how I was, and um, you know, and and then I tried to correct that today, and um, it's like I'm addicted to the intrigue, the tease, the forbidden, and the only way to be free of that was to act on it. Afterwards, still lusting for the big fix, and you know that was that was really part of the problem with my relationships my whole life. You know, I was just never I was insatiable. I was just never satisfied. And Jesse was the longest person I had ever been with because I love him and I adored him. And you know, there were a few times when I um. This wasn't the most savory of people. And, you know, that just, 
And I think that's part of why Heavenly Father had me come back to the church, too, because it's like, well, being gay is one thing, but how I'm handling that's completely different, you know, and and it's and it wasn't it wasn't an honorable thing, you know, it was part of part of that addiction lifestyle. And it's like, mm, yeah, I want to I want to I want to work this out. You know, I have some healing to do there, you know, I kind of learned that through um, well, going back to church, which is a whole, which was kind of a kind of a crazy thing, too. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, here we go. I don't know. Do you want to hear about that? Yeah. So share with our listeners just you've come back to St. George. Your mother passes away on Thanksgiving Day 2017. Um, Your father is still alive in his 80s. And talk about um, your decision to come back to church and Bishop Plum. Oh, so. I... You know, this this neighborhood, after, after my mom had passed away, and um, this neighborhood is just amazing. Um, the the whole ward, I mean, everybody's coming over to help. Everybody's friendly. Everybody's talking to you. And, and, I, and I didn't, like I said earlier, it's like, well, I don't really have any shame left. This is how I am. This is what's going on. And this is, you know, we'll, we'll figure all this out. We'll figure this all out together, you know. And, and they've all been like that. They've been so supportive and so amazing. And so I... I don't know. I was listening to some Christmas music one day, and my first I want to add in there a long time ago, like before Jesse and I even broke up, like a few years before, I just had this thing that really, in the scope of things, I'm, I was a single man. I don't know why that, why that came to me, and it's like that I should be single and I should serve the Lord, and I'm like that's just, I don't know where that came from, and I had to tell my aunt one day, it's like, well, at least if I'm single. And I slip up, you know, I'm not hurting anybody else. And it's a slip up. It's not a lifestyle. It's not a change of anything. And, you know, that's the addict talking. And, um, and um, oh, my gosh, I just lost my thought. Yeah, just um, anyway. you. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, you go ahead. Maybe you can remind me where I was at. Just, yeah, <laughs> so, your decision to come back to church. and. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So I was like, well, everybody was just so nice and meeting the neighbors and, ends up the neighbors next to us sell their house on Halloween the following year. And I meet the new neighbors and um, they were just, they were just so welcoming, you know, and I'm going over there to welcome them to the neighborhood and they made me feel better about them moving here <laughs> than I did them moving in, you know? And um, so I just, and then Christmas time starts rolling around and, you know, right after Thanksgiving, they start playing this, the Christmas music. And, um, oh my gosh. I think it might have been a little drummer boy of all songs. And it just kind of hit me. And, you know, all of a sudden I realized that that song, he's not talking about beating a drum. He's talking about the beating heart of all of us and being with Christ, you know, and how that, that beat just unifies us all and that, and that he is here, you know, he came, this is it. And, um, and Christmas music just does that anyway, doesn't it? It's just like, whew. So the spirit kind of moved through me and I am um, like, okay, well, I'll go to, I ask one of the neighbors, well, what time is church? And they're like, oh, you want to sit by? I'm like, no, <laughs> I just want to know what time church starts. And um, so I go and everybody's so nice. They're like, oh, sit by us. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just going to sit back here on the back row and close to that door because I got to make a quick getaway. And um, so I do a sacrament meeting and, and um, oh, the sacrament just had been, had been 38 years. And it just really made me think about it, you know, 
And um, so I just kind of continued going and figured out the schedule, you know, Sunday school one week, sacrament or priesthood meeting the next. And, and I, I didn't hold a Melchizedek priest. And I felt, I felt really awkward. I mean, that first day walking back into church and I could just feel everybody staring at me and I wasn't wearing a white shirt and, you know, probably, I can't even, I think I was wearing like colored jeans and just a button up shirt, you know, I didn't look horrible or anything, but I could just feel them staring at me. And I know that was all me, you know, that the, the, the devil did not want me in that church. He was trying to make me feel as uncomfortable as possible. And so I figure out the schedule and I'd go to the sacrament meeting and if it was priesthood. I'd just hurry and get out of there as fast as I could. And, and then when the neighbors comes over a few weeks later and he's like, well, what's just come with me to sacrament meeting. You can sit by me. And then, Turns out the neighbors that moved in at Halloween, um, the Bangs, he's the elders quorum president. And he's like, yeah, just come and sit by me. And, um, and um, everybody's just been so incredible. And, and I could be honest with them, you know, it's like, well, this is, this is, this is how I feel. And this is how I am. And, you know, and uh, I still had a, quite a salty tongue and, you know, which, which I've done really well with that today, I got to say. Um, so anyway, I just eventually started going to priesthood meeting with them and loved the Sunday school. And, you know, I always, I just always had this tender heart for the New Testament because, you know, that's living in Vegas. That's where I stayed in touch with the Lord. I'd go to these storefront Christians and, you know, they didn't have the fullness of the gospel, but because I'd left so early, I gained this true testimony of who Jesus Christ is and, you know, that he is alive and he loves me and, you know, he, he forgives us all. And sometimes you look at things and it's, it's hard to believe that he can do that, that he'd even want to, you know, and, so I um oh and here's another thing I should add about that. So my job here, and um I'm sure jumping all over the place. Um I guess this kind of was part of my journey back to church also. Um so probably right around the same time also, I go to Beaver and um I'm getting I stay a few days and I always go up to this the time frames, I don't have them exact in my mind right here. I need to go back in my journal if it's that important, but Anyway, I um, I'm in Beaver and um, I'm getting ready to come back to St. George and I get that prompting that I need to stay and I should go up to this. It's called the Ponderosa Picnic Area in the Beaver Canyon, which is just—it's always been such a spiritual spiritual spot for me. And I um, so I yelled. I go back and I check into the hotel, throw my crap in the room, and and go up to this canyon and up to this picnic area in the canyon and I stop and I'm like, okay, Jesse and I used to like to go there. Jesse is my, my, my partner 15 years. And we, you know, I just, that's where I dig people. That's my spot. You know, I'm sure it's a lot of people's spots. And, and then I stop, I'm walking across the bridge and I'm stopping to take pictures of the river to, you know, send them to him so I could get him via text. And I hear this voice say Leland. And I'm like, what? And I turn around and I'm looking at the man and I'm like, you know, these thoughts are under my head. I'm like, I know, I know you. I recognize your face. It just escaped me. Well, it was my old boss from when I lived here in the 90s. Wow. And I worked at first. And, um, you know, we just kind of visit for a little bit. And and his wife's there, and he's now a bishop, and she's the young women's president. And they're up there doing a young women's camp in the Beaver Mountains. And... Um, He's like, what's going on? So I give him the rundown and, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm just absolutely lost. I have no idea what I'm doing, where I'm going. You know, I'm still healing and, you know, and um, I put on a bunch of weight, you know, I was like, when I moved here, I was at 340 pounds and, you know, 
Now I'm down to 250, and wow. okay, I look pretty good. Way to go, man. <laughs> uh, I just had to throw that in there. But anyway, and it turns out that one of the people I worked with that was their old floral designer was now the sales floor manager. So he's like, go talk to Steve. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, I, um, I had this old job, you know, and um, just started, you know, that was, that was Heavenly Father also. You know, he guided me back to that canyon. Kenny and Trace just happened to be there. And um, and that bridge, you know, just turned out being this this bridge of this bridge of love and healing and hope. And it really changed everything for me because I was pretty broken, you know, and, and Kenny gives me this book called Believing Christ. And um, I read that and I'm just kind of I'm like, well, that is reminding me of the New Testament. That's how I see Jesus. You know, he's just he's there for us. You know, let him in. And so I go, so I guess fast forward again. I am um, in priesthood meeting and Brother Crawford lives across the street, Brother Bang and Brother Crawford, you know, just sitting there with them. And, you know, they, they were just really good to me. They just, they held me up a lot because they knew how uncomfortable I felt. Because, you know, in my mind, I'm that 16-year-old boy in a room full of men that are judging me and poking fun at me, you know. And, um, but it really wasn't, but that's how I felt. And, you know, and they just really held me up. And then Brother Crawford's like, why don't you make a bishop appointment? And I'm like, you know, it's only been a couple of months. We're moving way too fast here. And he's like, no, just do it. And I'm like, oh, all right. So I text, it was Bishop Simmons at the time. And I sent him, I'm really famous for these lengthy, boring texts, which they're really not boring. But, oh, they're so long sometimes. Like, you know, the spirit gets moving. You have a lot to say. And, um, and um, he's like, okay, so we'll make an appointment for two weeks. And, and and then he knew what he was doing. So two weeks passed by, and I go in for my first bishop meeting in 38 years, and there's um, it's Bishop Plum. It's his first day as bishop, and it's my first day back. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this man is just going to get an earful. And um, he just made it so comfortable. And it's like, you know, I know Heavenly Father did that too. You know, he put, he put Bishop Plum in that position just for me, you know, and, and I think, and I think I came back just in time for him too, you know, because maybe there's some things that I pointed out that he never, that he would ever have to talk about, you know? And um, so anyway, we just kind of built this, built this great relationship. And um, next thing I know, I'm getting the Melchizedek priesthood and, and um, that was quite a, quite a, quite a thing. You know, I'm like, oh, I just, but I, I'm glad it happened at this point in life because I think I have a better understanding of, you know, what, what giving a blessing is about and, and it, what an honor it is to have that gift, you know, that, that Jesus brought that back just for us, just during this dispensation, you know, just, and it, and it doesn't matter what you've been or who you are, how you are, you know, Jesus is just real simply, he's like, I love you, here's the rules, and, you know, and here's these gifts I give you to use. You know, and all those years later, and, and, and we have that gift, you know, and all those things that come along with it. And then um, and then Bishop Plum challenges me to, he's like, what about the temple? And, you know, this whole time I'm like, oh, you lost your mind? I'm not going to the temple. You know, that's just, that's just too much. And um, so he's like, just, just go sit on the ground. And, you know, so I'm like, okay. And I ended up getting a patriarchal blessing during all this also. A lot happened. This first, this last 18 months has just been 
moving quickly. And um, the Heavenly Father has something for us to do, doesn't he, you know? So I just start going on the temple grounds. And, you know, you can feel the difference as soon as you cross the threshold of the grounds. And and this, and I'm just, you know, I'm just praying. I'm like, Heavenly Father, I just, I'm not sure about this. I know you're real, but, you know, I always believe that we're the temple. And, um, you know, we need to hand the word of wisdom, you know, it's like, this is also, I got to say the first time in my life that I have not been on some kind of medication or drugs or alcohol or nicotine, caffeine, amphetamine, any of the eans, you know? Wow. And, great um, job. That's huge. I, yeah. Yeah. It's like, coming, like coming out of a coma and going to church right away, wow. <laughs> you know? And, and so anyway, first day on the temple grounds and you know, I pray and I read my scriptures and just could feel the peace. And I was in this big burly construction looking dude, just totally, you would never even think walks on the ground and falls to his knees and just starts praying and right there in front of everybody. And Oh, the spirit was so incredible that you know, all I could do is put my phone down because I was reading the scriptures and, and just start praying. I couldn't hear any, couldn't, I don't think he was even aware I was there. And I was just like, but I witnessed, Heavenly Father let me witness this most amazing thing. And I'm like, whew. So um, I think the next week in Come Follow Me, or I was coming through scriptures and, you know, I'm praying about the temple. I'm like, I just, I don't know. I just didn't know. And um, all of a sudden, um, I can't remember the scripture verse exactly, but and toward, you know, all of a sudden they're like, well, hey, where's the, where's Jesus? And um, he's back at the temple, you know, teaching. And um, and and he's like, did you not know you would find me in my father's house? Or you know how it goes. I probably should have looked that up, but here it is. And, and all of a sudden, I think of the front of the temple. It's like holiness under the Lord, the house of the Lord. And, you know, and Jesus right there. I mean, just he died, he rose again, and the, the temple didn't change. It just went away for a time. And during the dispensation, we got that back, you know, and... Um, so God, he just really con- really confirmed things for me. And um, and another scripture, too, is that Jacob 2.8. And um, the Lord the Lord used that as, what is it? It supposes me they've come up to hear the pleasing word of God, the word which, the word which healeth the wounded soul. You know, and that just, that's how I felt. You know, as a wounded soul in the church, in the temple, you know, that's, that's our hospital. That's where you need to go, whether you're addicted and whether you're, drugs right before you went in, you need to go because Heavenly Father is going to just totally change your heart. You know, and you just, you don't see it coming. <laughs> it's just, there it is, and you're so grateful that it happened. And, and at first, I, I like those small and simple things, and he shows us those things. And, you know, so I guess back to the temple thing. I um, So the third day I go there, um, I just, I'm really concerned I'm going to use this lose this light, you know, I'm kind of bubbly and salty and just have this Heavenly Father blessing with a, a joyful spirit. And I, it started out as a safety mechanism, you know, because of the self-doubt and the, yeah. the teasing and the torment. And and then it, it became, it just became a part of me, this joyful nature. And I'm really thankful for that. And, um, but I was so afraid I was going to lose that, you know, because there's a little, there's a little salt in me, you know, and, um, and all of a sudden, so I go to the temple grounds, and there's this big, wonderful tree, you know, and the roots are all just weaving through the ground, you know, and they keep it all cleaned up so nice like they do. And it, um, 
just go sit there and I'm just praying. It's like, well, Heavenly Father, I don't want to lose my light and I want your light to shine through me. And I just, you know, the genuine concern. And um, all of a sudden I'm, I'm done praying. I'm like, okay, I need to get to work. I'd stop on my way to work and, you know, while it was open. And um, I, all of a sudden there's these papers on the ground and I'm like, I don't know how I missed them when I walked up there. And it's almost like Heavenly Father put those there. And um, so I pick them up and you can tell, uh, yeah, it was a young woman's thing going on. This girl had lost her papers. So I'm like, well, I'll take them over to the visitor center. And, um, and I, so I gather everything up and her name's on one of the envelopes. I'm like, okay, good. They can probably find her. And, and then there's this brochure and I turn it over and it's like, and it says, turn on your light. And I'm like, you know, and then the little caption was like, you know, let God's light shine in you. And I was just like, wow, how incredible is that? The Heavenly Father would just answer my prayers so quickly and to not worry that, about losing my light because, you know, he is my light. He made me and I'm, and I'm a part of that. Nothing will ever take that away, you know. And anyway, oh, that was just kind of an emotional moment. <laughs> but, you know, he just, he just continually gives us just a portion of his love moment by moment, you know. I love that. Did you and, end up going back to the temple, Leland? What's that? Did you end up going to the temple? Well, so Bishop Plum, um, he's like, well, why don't you start doing some baptisms? So I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to look like the dirty old man in there, <laughs> you know, because all, all these kids are going. And I was like, you know, just those things that go through your mind. And I was like, well, there it is. <clears throat> so, um, and I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. And Bishop Plum leaves his office, come back, and he has me this, this like the little temporary temple recommend to do baptisms for the dead. And um, I'm like, oh my gosh. And he's like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll pick you up Saturday with my kids, and we'll go over there, and they'll help you feel more comfortable about doing it. I, my bishop is probably the most awesome bishop on the planet. I love he's that just, he wanted to go with you. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so he... um. He's done a lot of things like that. So he, um, so Thursday rolls around, and I'm like, I need to, I need a grow up here and go do this myself. You know, I can't be having him. You know, your pride and your dignity and your ego and all that stuff gets in the way, even when you're going to do the right thing. And it's like, well, I just need to go do this. So I went over there and um, just did my first set of baptisms, and then he picked me up Saturday morning, and we went and did them again. And next thing I know, I'm doing them for little widows in the ward, and and then, um, and then um, after all that, I um, there's so many things in between, but same time we're on the temple. Then um, all of a sudden, I get the recommend to go get my endowments done, and we ended up getting those done um, two weeks before the temple closed. We had before all this COVID happened. Wow. So I um, yeah, yeah, and it was just you know. I just, I don't know. I just felt right, you know, and I, and still, I mean, and I drove up there with a couple of friends from um, ARP. Yeah. It's addiction recovery program through family services with the church. And that's, oh, that's been a miracle. Um, so, so anyway, they're like, well, just ride with us. And I'm like, no, I'll just go by myself and phone them with the phone. And all of a sudden there's this song called um, by Michelle Toombs. It's a Christian song. And I did, I just don't know. It was family father again. And it's called Heaven Will Be Near Me. And that's how I felt going to the temple, you know. And um, that's how I felt when I got in there. Then I get there, and um, <laughs> there's all these people. 
from Beaver, from the ward, from my work, from my, my boss and his wife show up, and they end up being the witnesses. That just Kelly Father made this the most incredible. He just he just tells you it's real, you know. <laughs> he just shows you that that everything is real. That's all worth it. And it's all leading to something. And it all means something. And um, it was just it was just awesome, <laughs> you know. And so I get in doubt, and I'm just. I think 90% of the people in the room were, were there just to, to support me in getting this done. You know, well, I'm to do their to do endowments for the, you know, but um, it was just, it just, uh, I still have no words. I get all choked up when I think about it. Think Showing about, down. think about you at age 16, not feeling fitting in or belonging and not being understood perhaps by your local community, not knowing your path and leaving and then coming back and being in that endowment session for you with, you know, this same community around you and how healing you don't, I like that you say, I don't even have words to describe what it meant to me. And to me, it's a credit to you and the work you've done. It's also credit to um, all these people that rallied around you and just saw you as Leland Wilson, someone who's worthy of love and, and support and they didn't pull away from you and they they just supported you and loved you and wanted to be with you and and you know a lot of, wouldn't want to do that with someone that was gay or had or a same sex attraction when you were growing up in 1980s so we've made progress and you've made progress and that was evidenced by the you know the endowment what a wonderful amazing you know journey you've been on Talk in this last segment about some of these organizations that have helped you overcome addictions. And a lot of those organizations, um, part of their role is obviously to connect you with the power of Jesus Christ and his atonement. So introduce any of those organizations to our listeners that have been helpful for you. Oh, gosh. Well, the first one was um, the Addiction Recovery Program through Family Services. And I just, oh, truly a light under a bushel. I don't know that the church even promotes it enough, you know, because it, it's for everything. And it, it is. Sometimes they call it the atonement for dummies, you know, which was perfect for me because I'm like, um, I, I didn't understand the atonement fully until I started going there and healing. And um, even though I hadn't done a lot of drugs and things in so many years, all of a sudden, you know, that, that was it. The words that healed the wounded soul. And um, so it's, it's a 12-step program like AA. And it's a 12-step with Jesus, with the atonement of Christ attached to it. And I've made so many friends there. And just, which was, you know, um, oh, what? Let me see if I can read you something real quick. This is like one of my, oh, so this was, this week we were on step 12. And it's like, you know, about and the spiritual awakening and service, you know, because service is the key to everything. You know, if you're feeling bad about yourself, if you're, um, doubting yourself, go do some service, go help somebody else, you know, and, and, and it, it always just makes you feel better about yourself. And it makes, you know, that's the most important thing is making sure that you can help somebody. But um, there was an Esther Tapp Benson quote, and it was like, um, in this week's lesson, it was like, men and women who turn their lives over to God will discover that he can make them a lot more out of their lives than they can. He will deepen their joys expand their vision, quicken their minds, strengthen their muscles, lift their spirits, multiply their blessings, increase their opportunities, comfort their souls, 
raise up friends, and pour out peace. Whoever will lose his life in the service of, <clears throat> in the service of God will find eternal life. And that was from um, the Ensign in December 1988. You know, and um, I, I love those words because that's exactly what the program and that's, well, exactly what Jesus has done with me through this program. Um, you know, he's deepened my joy and um, expanded my vision and my revelation and, um, and made me strong and given me friends and just things just, you, you start to see the Lord working in your life, you know? And I mean, and you know, I mean, people look at addiction like a dirty word, you know, because the pornography is such a big problem and the, um, the drugs are such a big problem. The alcohol is a big problem. You know, what about, what about sugar? What about judging? What about, you know, there's just so many things that we do that we just take for granted, you know, that, that um, we don't realize might be a problem in our life. So, you know, it's much more than addiction recovery for drugs or alcohol or all those things that people put a dirty little picture on. You know, there's, there's all kinds of things we're addicted to. So, you know, that's really been a blessing. And, then through um through ARP, I um Bishop Plum again introduced me to that. You know what? He um had suggested I do the ARP program. And again, I'm just like, no, I'm not an addict. You know, I'm done. I don't do any of that anymore. And he's like, mm, yeah, right. I'll pick you up Tuesday at seven. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Heavenly Father guided him to guide me there. Now I facilitate on Fridays, and, and again, Bishop Plum picked me up, took me, and there we go. You know, <clears throat> um. But, but, you know, and now um, I, I'm facil- facilitating a group on Fridays, and which is a which is a blessing because I didn't even want to say a prayer in the class. I just couldn't. It was so backward and so awkward, you know. And um, anyway, through that, and then Bishop Plum had, um, had me order this book um, from Sons of Helaman, you know, and it deals with um, because you know, like I said, part of that part of my addiction was. Not as well the pornography in my own mind, you know. Um, that was a hard thing. I mean, it had been my thought process and my actions for for 38 years. You know, I didn't have to be anybody else involved. You know, I could just go through these thoughts all by myself and isolate. And so anyway, I get the Sons of Helaman book, and that um, leads me to a group for the older men called uh, Men of Moroni, you know, that deal with some of the same issues in the church, you know, and I guess I, I was also hesitant to talk about it. We shouldn't be hesitant at all. I mean, it's true. That's a reality that's out there. You know, man, there's a problem, <laughs> you know? And um, so um, reaching out to um, Minna Moroni, I end up talking with um, Warren Bittner. And he's starting a group through, through this organization called Sons of Sacrifice. But before that happens, Warren tells me about Mankind Project and a new, a new warrior training adventure weekend. And, um, which was really helpful for me because that was kind of, um, I'll say, you know, being, being gay, it's like, Oh, I don't feel like much of a man. I don't know. I'm so different than all this. And, you know, and I equated manliness to, um, fighting and fishing and, you know, all that kind of stuff, which some of that I do, I don't fight, but I don't mind fishing, but it showed me that, you know, that men aren't so different gay or straight, you know, and that, that we are warriors and we're hunters and we're protectors. And, um, and I always like to write a little bit, you know, it just helps you build your self-worth and realize that, you know, we're all men. We all got, we're all damaged a little bit. We all got something going on, you know, lift your brother up. And, um, 
it's not and it's not a it's not an LDS thing, the Mankind Project, but it's a, it's a good thing. I, I think it'd be something all men should check out. You know, it's three days, and it's something I can't even explain. It's something you really just have to go see for yourself, and you know. But um, it's helping me become a man of self a man of self control. You know, well the Lord is, but this really kind of helped me. <clears throat> I guess we still need that fleshly, worldly push because. We're not of the world, but we're in it. You know, we can't we can't help that. Bishop Plumman said to me one day, he's like, "Yeah, I've always got that one foot in the world," and I'm like, "Yeah, we can't we can't avoid that, can we?" And so anyway, and then but now Sons of Sacrifice is a really it's a fantastic group, and there's brothers out there just like I am, and and you know, same sex attraction or same gender attraction. You know, everybody has a different term for it. You know, and and it kind of helps you. Um, Reconnect your brain and rewire your brain on a spiritual level, and and to and to realize what we're fighting for, you know, how to um, take those addictions and those habits, and to to realize that you know we're fighting for our faith and our families and our friends and all those people and those things that we love. You know, we want to make this world a better place by being a better man. And um, you know, I I don't know. I I'd, I'd recommend any of them to um to the men and women out there. As far as ARP goes, you know that just really is a fantastic group. I love these groups that you've talked about, from what I know, and I we may in subsequent podcasts talk more about them. I, it's pretty cool that you um, are a facilitator now, and I like groups that bring people together that have sort of the common story. I think people need community to be able to connect with others walking a similar road. I think you bring each other support. So I like community um, at times that really helps gay men that are walking this road to have other gay men. Um, that's my experience just talking with others is that it helps you to walk this road, um, to have community of people trying to walk the same road. Um, there might be some that are worried that you're going to connect with somebody and fall in love with somebody, and I guess that's a possibility. But to me, that's just a possibility for any gay person, just like any straight person. You just have to develop boundaries, and um, but you still, yeah, I don't want to legislate um, you not connecting with a group that could be helpful because there might be other people with the same sexual orientation. That doesn't seem like that's practical in any situation in society. So I like the, what you're doing there with those groups. And I realize we didn't spend a lot of time in the podcast on that list you went through. Um, but it sounds like for you, that's been very helpful. And it sounds like none of those groups, the goal is to change your sexual orientation. Is that correct, Leland? Uh, say that one more time. They, to, they're, they're to not, what? To no, change it? To change it. Are any of those groups trying to change your sexual orientation? Oh, no, not at all. You know, because Jesus made us just the way we are for a reason, you know, and, and they don't, like, like um, the one, um, Sons of Sacrifice, it's more, it's not trying to change who you are. It's trying to help you understand who you are and why you are. You know, I don't know if we'll ever understand why we're gay. Heavenly Father knows, but he made us this way for a reason. And, um, but I think with a lot of us, um, one of the men in the group calls it fantasy land. And that's when I knew I wasn't alone in, um, in the, in those thoughts that build in your mind. And it's kind of, all it's doing is helping you 
change those thoughts, you know, and it, I don't, I wouldn't be above reproach talking about those thoughts, <laughs> you know, they're just, I'll just put them right there, you know, it's um, pornographic and all those things that come with it, you know, your thoughts work, your, your mind doesn't know the difference between reality and a thought. If you get too deep into thought, you know, your mind just believes what you're telling it. You know what I'm saying? If that makes sense, I'm not the best at describing that. But no, none of them, none of them. There'll be even ARP and at the church, you know, um, through family services to the, to the, yeah. to the, to our church. And um, it's all, it's all about just being one in the spirit, being one in the Lord. That's all about us just working through each other's, um, through your, you don't try to fix anybody. You don't try to heal anybody. You just go there and love each other, you know? All of them are that way. You said some really you thought, thoughtful things. Um, that was very helpful. Uh, talk about, you've read Charlie Bird's book, um, Without the Mask. We've done a podcast with Charlie Bird. Tell us what you liked about that book. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> you know, that just, what an anointed young man. You know, I was like, wow, we, he has so many so many, so many spots, you know, that I think every single one of us, older, young, still, and it's, and that's going to really benefit our young people that are growing up today. I hope that they can, like he said, I, he wanted the book out there that would, um, the book out there that he didn't have when he was growing up, you know, and I think that's true of a lot of us. Um, is that like, you know, I want, I want to be the man that I needed when I was growing up, you know. That I, that I could have talked to her, you know, but his, his book was fantastic. I hope I get to meet him one day because he just, he deserves a great big hug, <laughs> you know? I love that. And, and and just, yeah, I love that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, um, and you know, that's kind of like, um, with Sons of Sacrifice and then some of the men in ARP, well, and Mankind Project, all of them, it's just because I met, <clears throat> You know, mankind, it's gay, straight, whatever. It's everybody. You know, they don't, and it's, it's not LDS. I think I mentioned that. <clears throat> but in all this, I've met so many young people in that same situation that just have held true to the faith, you know, and they just, they believe that. And I just, I really admire that because I know how hard it was for me to hold on to it. I couldn't, I couldn't hold on to it. I, I let go. And um, I listened to them and watched what they're going through and, you know, I got to experience a lot of these things that they're that they're thinking about and then they're feeling and I don't know who the lucky one is, you know. <clears throat> that um but yeah, yeah, just I don't know. I couldn't I can't say I tell everybody that knows me, you know, pretty much knows my story and I recommended Charlie Bird's book to him every day. Now I guess I need to read yours. So listen, learn and love. Yeah, so <laughs> that's another book coming out. I really t- also love Charlie Bird's book and um, I'm glad that our church has published that through Desert Book, and I agree that it's the book that he wishes he had. And um, But you're providing hope to others as they listen to your story. So you and Charlie are bravely walking a pretty difficult road. And um, But I recognize that, you know, our, it's just wonderful that Charlie Bird's book and Charlie exists because, you know, he, like you just said, um, Charlie believes this is the way Heavenly Father created him, and there should be no shame in how we're created. That doesn't take commandment keeping off the table or agency, but it just helps everybody be on the same moral footing. 
and look in the mirror and not feel they're a mistake. Talk about in this last segment, let me, because we're at the end of the podcast time, what would you say? So you're 56 and it's been, thir- you know, you were out of the church 38 years. If What would you say to your teenage self right now as he was, you know, back in Southern Utah? Um, what would you say to that, that earlier self of yours, Leland? Oh, now? Wow. Yeah. Because I love you. And you are loved. Heavenly Father loves you. You know, don't, don't be afraid. No doubt, you know, I guess the biggest thing would be is like Heavenly Father made you just the way you are. You know, I spent my whole life um, looking for the spirit and it ended up right where I left it with that 15 year old boy or 16 year old boy. You know, so I just tell him how much I just tell him how much he's loved. That's powerful. And that's simple, but it's so powerful, Leland. Um, before we started, you. Um, said a line that I think you've d- shared throughout this podcast is I have no shame left. And I really feel yeah. like shame is Satan's tool to separate us from God. And because you have no shame left and are pretty open about your story and willing to engage in some of these groups, ARP, Sons of Healing, Men of Moroni, Sons of, I've written them down here, Sons Sacrificing. of Sacrifice and Mankind Project. I and most importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ through our church, you're in just a great spot. And it's a, it's a miracle if you really think about it, Leland. If if you knew really? 10 years ago where you'd be right now, you'd say that's impossible to be an endowed member of the church, to um, be back at church. It's really, it's a miracle for what you've done, the courage it took to go back to church, to meet with Bishop Plum. Um, to go to ARP, and there's been so many heroes in your life. Um, your mom who's passed away, your father, your family, your friendship community, um, this good bishop that was, you know, you're one of his first appointments on his first day. And I love some of the things that he did with you. He said, well, I'll go with you to the ARP meeting. So it's just an oh, insight. Yeah, it's just an insight in his I character. Pardon me? It's an insight in his character and how much he loves you. He's not just writing you suggestions, but the fact he's willing to go with you um, just says about his ministry and his good heart. Do you have any final, give our listeners one final thought, Leland, and then we'll sign off. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, If any of you know a gay young person or same sex, same gender attracted young person in your life, let them know how much you love them. Let them know that they're okay, that it's okay. You know, we can't, we can't change how we, we can't change who we are, but we can change how we handle things. You know, the situation might not change, but our perspective can. So just, if you know any young ones, just let them know they're loved. Get them through this, you know. That's all I have, really. I love that. That's so simple and so powerful. And I would hope um, our faith community, if you happen to still been in a partnership with your boyfriend when you came to church that first week, I hope we would have treated you the same way. The church should be welcome for everybody. It's not for those that are just keeping all the commandments and have got everything figured out. So 
I recognize when you came to church, you were out of this same-sex partnership, and obviously to fully participate in the church and go to the temple, you needed to be temple-worthy. But I would hope right, right. that even if you, your first step of coming back to the church, you were in that same-sex relationship, um, and even if you brought your boyfriend to church, I hope we would have um, done what I think the Savior would have done, have, have welcomed you and sat on your row and and introduced ourselves to you and asked to be introduced and and what you know and made you both feel welcome. I just think that's something Christ would do, and um, and I think Definitely. hopefully our, I think your bishop and that ward can neighborhood community would have done that. But I'm. I just, that's my invitation for all well, of us. Go ahead. I've met him. Well, there you go. So I love one of the lines in my book is, it's a tweet and it's um, something to the effect, um, we as Mormons, that's when we're using that vocabulary, need to stop loving people because their love will bring them back to the church and love people because they deserve to be loved. And obviously our love for you helped you come back to the church, but... I would hope that if we met you in Las Vegas <laughs> and you were out of the church and in your darkest days, we would have still loved you um, and still would have seen you as Heavenly Father's son because it sounds like he loved you and you felt his influence in your darkest days. And I think, I hope that if I had been your friend and known some of your story and it's come to your your floral store, that I would have I would have treated you like I think the Savior would have. and. So, Leland, you're one of our heroes for who you are, for being alive, um, for navigating really complicated things. And I think heaven, our heavenly parents are really pleased with you and who you are and and your ability that's been going on your whole life to help others. So this is Leland Wilson and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>